It all started with Jesus, of course. This is a, a picture of Jesus from a wall uh, in a, a, a church in Turkey. Jesus was born uh, about uh, 4 BC. There was a mistake made over the date, so our dating system's all wrong, as I'm sure you know, and died around AD 30. And he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. He said, I've come with a way to live. Live my way. Love God and love yourself and love your enemy as you love yourself. And he lived that out in his life. And there are 20 steps from him to us. The first is this man. This is what people suggest he looked like from uh, little bits of autobiographical information we have in his letters. This is Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus, I don't know if you know, is in Turkey, still there today. Uh, So Paul was Turkish. He was born around 5 AD, and he died, we think, in 67 AD, about 30 or 40 years after Jesus. And what Paul did is he turned this um, way that Jesus, the rabbi, talked about living, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, follow me, into a whole system, a system of Christology. Some people claim that it was Paul that started Christianity and not Jesus. Because Jesus taught a simple way of living, but Paul went away and he did a huge amount of work. And he comes out with this exalted Christology. If you read the Gospels, they're all about Jesus went here and did this and healed this person and said that and had this conversation. If you read Paul, there's little or no Um, little no information about Jesus' life at all. Rather, it all centers on his death and resurrection. His life and his parables and his stories are gone. Everything is about Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul understands this in a specific way. A blueprint for faith. Next guy is this guy. Step three. Uh, Benedict of Nursa. Uh, He was an Italian. And Benedict... It was somebody who, um, who wanted to live his life for Jesus, but found the distractions around him overwhelming. And so he decided to live as a hermit. He lived from, uh, he lived from, oh, that's, uh, actually, this isn't Benedict as well. I've skipped on one. This is Augustine, as I'm sure you can tell from his photograph. <laughs> this is Augustine, actually, of Hippo. And Augustine lived from 354 to 430. And he came up with a way of reinterpreting faith to fit in with the Roman Empire. Constantine had become the emperor and had reunited the Roman Empire. There used to be several Roman emperors all at one time. He pulled them all together. Constantine had a, a dream in which he was told to conquer in the, in the name of the cross. He painted a cross on all the shields of all his soldiers. That's how he won this decisive victory. And Augustine, some people say the greatest thinker and theologian in the life of the church ever, reinvented or reshaped Christianity, this message he got from Paul and others, to fit empire to fit the Roman Empire. That leads us on to this man. This is Benedict of Nursia, an Italian. And Benedict, seeing the power of the Roman Empire and how Christianity had all become encumbered with power and imperialism and uh, prestige, he withdrew. He chose to live as a hermit. 
But so popular was his decision, other people followed him. And uh, soon he decided that he would have to begin a community. He began a community in some caves and he wrote a little book called The Rule of Benedict, which was the first, uh, if you like, collection of uh, spiritual disciplines. You follow Christ by living this way. Today there are th- there are hundreds of thousands of Benedictine monks around the world and the hundreds of thousands of Benedictines are involved in life in the city. They're bankers and journalists, etc., etc. But they're called third order Benedictines. It was Benedict who moved away from the power of the empire and found something else. But things... Uh, began to go wrong. This man, I'm sure you all recognize him, is Pope Leo IX. Pope Leo IX is an incredibly important person. This history of Christianity has some bad guys in it as well as some good, good guys in it. And Pope Leo IX lived, was born in 1002. And it was through his excommunication of the Bishop of Constantinople that he split the church. And the church actually split in 1054 a thousand years ago, into East and West, Roman Catholic and uh, uh, Eastern Orthodox. And that split has never been healed. It was that, this man who did that. The next person is this guy. Some of you will recognize him, Martin Luther. As the Eastern Church split off, and we have to uh, wave goodbye to the Eastern Church then, because from then on there are two routes forward and we're part of the Western Church. So we're going to follow the Western branch instead of the Eastern branch. Uh, this, uh, that the Western Church slowly became more and more corrupt. Pope Leo IX was in it for himself. Uh, Martin Luther, 500 years later, as a Roman Catholic, could stand it no longer. Uh, he'd uh, lectured at a university in Germany called Wittenberg. He went to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral and he posted what are called his 95 theses, 95 complaints he had about the way that Catholicism had got. He posted that to the door of the Wittenberg uh, Cathedral uh, Church and he said, instead of the corruption that is around me, you have to do this and pay this fee and, and keep these feasts in order to be acceptable to God. I proclaim by faith alone someone finds Jesus. And he said these famous words, here I stand. A few years after Martin Luther was born, in 1509, John Calvin was born, and this is a picture of him. John Calvin uh, uh, lived in Geneva, and he was a lawyer. And he took what Martin Luther had done in terms of reforming the church. It was called, of course, the Reformation, the Great Reformation. And as a a lawyer, he turned it into a legal system. And he wrote a famous book, which is called The Institutes. And he moved to Geneva and he imposed his institutes on the city of Geneva. He ran the city of Geneva. He believed that God's law applied to every part of life. And he made it a pretty miserable place to live, in actual fact. That was John Calvin. Um, He believed in predestination, that everything that you do and everything that happens is because God predestines it. We are Christians because God chose us to be. People who aren't here, they're not here because God chose them not to be. That was his legal mind. 
This guy, I'm sure you don't recognize, he's uh, number seven. He's Menno Simons. And Menno uh, Simons was what was called an Anabaptist. We are an Anabaptist church. In those days, only infants were baptized. But Menno Simon said, no, I've read the Bible and those who decide to follow Christ, they're the ones who should be baptized, called Anabaptism. His descendants and his followers are called Mennonites and they're still around. The next guy is this. This is Ignatius Loyola. And he was born at the same time, around the same time as Martin Luther and John Calvin and Menno Simons. He was a Catholic. The Catholic Church was corrupt and and Luther and Calvin and Menno Simons were all reacting against the Catholic Church. Uh, Loyola uh, was a Catholic and he founded what's called the uh, Society of Jesus, today known as the Jesuits. The Jesuits were those who brought back rigor to Roman Catholicism. Let's follow Jesus instead of get all wrapped up and trapped into uh, this power thing. This guy is English. His name is William Tyndale. William Tyndale lived around the same time as Luther. He was born in 1494 and he died in uh, uh, 1536. And he said, in order for people to follow Jesus, you've got to put the Bible into their language. And he famously said, I want every plowboy in England to understand as much of the Bible as the king. He gave his life to translate the Bible into English, which was seen as heretical, and he paid with his life for doing it. But he brought the Bible into our language. The next figure is this guy, John Wesley. John Wesley was born in 1703, and John Wesley said, it's no good just reading the Bible and having a general faith He said, you need to be personally committed to this. And the movement he started was called the Great Awakening. His brother, Charles, wrote lots of songs to go with this. And, of course, there were lots of other people associated uh, with this move as well. And eventually, the Methodist church grew out of this. We need to follow Christ. He believed in conversion. He believed in evangelism. He believed in living a holy life, as he put it. The next guy is this guy. He's called Friedrich uh, Schleiermacher. Probably never quite heard of him. But the problem was that in the world around the church, the enlightenment was happening. Empirical knowledge is all that mattered. Faith was being pushed to the sides. It's about what you could count and what you could measure. Science was everything. Faith was a kind of God of the gaps thing. But in an emerging world of science, who needed God anymore? Frederick Schleiermacher, he was what we call a liberal. He wrote about uh, the romantic Jesus. He believed that faith could coexist with science. And in in reality, he's the beginning of all modern theology. A German known for his attempt to reconcile the Enlightenment and science with uh, following Christ. The next guy is this guy. His name is Benjamin Warfield. He's an American. He was born in 1851. The problem was, Schleiermacher had said, 
Well, faith is a thing of the heart and it's not to do with science and the hard world of facts. You go to university and you do sciences and you learn facts and figures. It's empirical. It's what you can measure. Faith is a thing of the heart. Benjamin Warfield wanted to say, no, we need more rigor. And he wrote a paper on the infallibility of the Bible. Every word of it you can trust at every single level. And he contributed to a set of documents that were called the Fundamentals that were published in 1910. And from the Fundamentals came Fundamentalism. We've got to be more rigorous about our Christianity. The next guy is this guy. We're on to photographs now. This is a guy called Karl Barth. Karl Barth, if Augustine wasn't the greatest theologian ever, Karl Barth probably is. And Karl Barth invented something which is called neo-orthodoxy. He didn't like the rigor and the legalism of Benjamin uh, Warfield. He didn't like this idea that every word of the Bible you must, must take is literally true. He understood that the world was, uh, was bigger than that. But he also knew that there must be a commitment to following God. His most famous statement is this. He, says, he said, however loudly you say man, it's still not God. We can't do it ourselves. Uh, Karl Barth became a sworn enemy of Adolf Hitler who stripped him of his professorship. In, uh, in Germany because uh, Bart kept pointing people to follow God, not man, not people. The next guy is this, a friend of Karl Barth's. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed in discipleship and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It became hugely popular and Hitler became very angry. In the end, Bonhoeffer fled the country and he came to this country and he started a church in South London. Eventually, he decided that he had to go back and he had to face Hitler. He went back and Hitler had him hanged. The cost of discipleship. The next picture is this. This guy has got a fantastic name. He's my favorite theologian, actually. He was called Helmut Thielicker. Great name, Helmut Thielicker. He was born in uh, 1908, and he didn't die until 1968. Uh, uh, but I couldn't find a better picture of him uh, than that. And he said, what Bart's doing is fine. What Bonhoeffer's doing fine. But it's got to make sense to ordinary people. His most famous quote is this. You have to keep uh, a forward in the gospel because the recipient keeps on moving. We've got to make sense to the people we communicate with. And then came this man. I don't know if you know uh, who he is. His name is uh, Carl uh, Rayner. Carl Rayner is a Catholic. He died just a few years ago. And he said... We can't live in a world where only those who get a chance to follow Jesus are Christians. Actually, God's at work in the lives of many other people. And he talked about good people around the world being anonymous Christians. He was, he really upset a lot of people and was thrown out of the Catholic Church along with others. But he set the ball rolling about, can you find God in other religions? Is it just the church that's saved or can other people find hope? This man 
uh, is still alive. His name's Jürgen Mortmann. He's uh, almost 19 now. He was born, uh, he was born in the n- early uh, 1920s. He was a prisoner of war in an English prisoner of war camp. He's German. And in that camp, he learned this, that God must suffer along with us. And he wrote a book in 1970 called The Crucified God. And I swear to you this, it changed everything slowly. He was rejected as an absolute liberal. I can remember that almost because I went to theological college in 1976. Uh, but 77, but now all of the songs we sing are really based around Mortman's thinking. He said this, if God is love, he must suffer. If God cannot suffer and cannot know pain, he's not greater than us, he's less than us. If he cannot suffer and know pain, we should feel pity for him. God is changed by his interaction with us. Then came this, A woman, at last, hey, in a world dominated by men, we can talk about that. Then came this woman, Mother Teresa, and she understood what Mortman had said, and she gave her life to those who suffered. And then lastly, this man, Martin Luther King, born after Mother Teresa, died before her. But Martin Luther King is um, really significant because he understood that Christianity really has to play a part on the street. The civil rights movement of America that set black people free was in actual fact a religious movement. It was the church finally realizing that it should be in the public marketplace instead of stuck away in halls singing songs. And that is how we get to us. We Since, therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The list of um, pictures I've just shown you, there were several things wrong with it. There was only one woman on it. And that's an issue, isn't it? Perhaps we want to talk about that. The second thing that's wrong with it, it was mostly pictures when we got onto photographs of old people. But actually what they achieved, they achieved when they were young. It's just nobody knew it then, so they took the pictures of them when they got old. It's young people who do stuff, but they get their photo taken after they've done it. We've got to go and do stuff uh, now. The next thing that's wrong with the list is there should be loads of other people on it. Julian of Norwich, she was a woman, Julian of Norwich. Uh, Catherine Booth, Florence Nightingale, Cecily Saunders, uh, Desmond Tutu, Billy Graham, William Booth, uh, William Wilberforce, Charles Spurgeon, Oscar Romeo. So many others that you could put on there, but I think those are the 20 people that have influenced things most. The next thing to say is, loads of them were flawed. Leo the Ninth was really flawed. I wouldn't like to spend much time with Benjamin Warfield, actually, or perhaps I would, but I don't think we'd get on well. I went to Geneva, and I, I went into uh, John Calvin's chair, and the friends I travelled there with a few years ago, they all touched John Calvin's chair. He used to speak in this church every day, sit in a chair, and then climb the pulpit steps to deliver his law. They all touched his chair, and I didn't. And they he said, why don't you sit in his chair? And I said, I want to stay as, as far away from John Calvin's chair as possible. I just don't get his system of, of doing things. 
But actually what they all teach us is this, that God works through flawed people, messed up people to achieve extraordinary things. And for all its faults, the church has changed history and set people free and brought hope and is working in endless communities just this morning. That is what the church is and that is what we're part of. That was also longer than 10 minutes. (laughs) So... um, 